turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Picking up with where we left off, this is part three, if you've been with us in this study. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting with verse 19, if you have a Bible, grab your Bible. You can turn to an online Bible if you have that. Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray again. Lord, Father, we love you. We need you. Speak to us by your word. Strengthen us by your spirit. Open our eyes, calm our hearts, bring us into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me ask you a couple of questions right out of the gate. What are the promises of God producing in you? Are they drawing you away from the world and its counterfeit comfort and into the presence of Jesus? Are they making you thirsty? to search the scriptures, like the Bereans and Acts, to know more of God's grace and his goodness and his transforming of your life. We've seen some tremendous truths and promises these last three weeks, and here again this morning in Hebrews. Will we read it, or will we live it? I'm praying that we live it. This passage from verses 19 through 25, it's the definition of exhortation and encouragement. Don't you like encouragement? Don't you need encouragement? We also need exhortation. There is so much here to give us cause for pressing in, rejoicing, confidence in the finished work and the perfect provision of Jesus. This portion of text should producing us a simultaneous, I can do this, I must do this, I will do this, and Christ will help me every step of the way. These things were written to revive our commitment. If you've ever seen a marathon on TV, you'll see that people line the streets, right? They line the streets. They're cheering the runners on. They're giving them bottles of water to drink down. They're spraying them with cold water. That's a good feeling when you're, like, blazing hot, right? It cools and rejuvenates. And all these things, it boosts their ability to press forward, to persevere. These verses do much the same. It's as if we're running our race for Christ, and the writer of Hebrews is holding up a sign, like you will. It's like he's holding up Hebrews chapter 10 there on the road, and it says something like this, Jesus did all this for you. 
That's what he's holding the sign up, it says. Drenching us with these verses and us just drinking them in. Spiritually hydrated and refreshed by them. And all of this is intended to be a personal work, but also a together work. I know we're not together physically, although you are in your home. I'm sure you're six feet apart, even from people in your family. Sometimes you think that way, like, oh, I don't need to do that here. Kind of get in these habits. But we're to, we're to be seeing a personal work in us through this time in the Word, but also a together work. As we've been called to be the family of God and a unified body, a unified body. Jesus said, you are the body. If you're taking notes, you see the title, Hold Fast and Hold Together. Hold Fast and Hold Together. Let's look at the first entryway to God the Father that Jesus has provided for all that have come to him by faith and repentance, turning from our sins and any trust in ourself. We can't trust in ourselves. Ourselves are untrustworthy. We're naturally full of sin. We need the help of Jesus. And we've seen this in the, in the past few weeks. Look back in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Taking notes, our first point, I titled Consecrated Access. The place of access here is called the holiest or the holy of holies, the throne room of God. And the promise given here is that we can enter with boldness. In other words, we know we have access to the very presence of God. Do you know you have that access to the very presence of God? We can be assured and positive that God welcomes us. If you're saved, there are millions of places on earth that you and I don't have access to. But isn't it amazing to know we have access to the very presence of God, the very God who created every living thing. And we can enter in much the same way you enter your own home. Much the same way your kids enter your home. Your kids enter your home, they feel welcome. They feel they have access because they are at home. And the home of God, heaven, our future home, is our positional home now. In Philippians 3.20, it says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Personally, I need to be reminded of this. How about you? I need to be reminded that this world is not my home. How about you? Maybe you've gotten really comfortable here. It's weird. We complain about it here all the time, and yet people want to stay here forever. You ever notice that? We complain about so many things, and God says, this isn't even your home. Why are you complaining about a place that's not your place? We need to be reminded, I do, and we need to have frequent visits with our Heavenly Father while we're here. Amen? We need to have frequent visits with the Lord. How do we do that? Number one, by prayer. By prayer. 
Prayer is the means by which our spiritual feet walk into the heavenly temple of God. The Holy of Holies is the new covenant parallel picture. You have the Holy of Holies, but the new parallel for us in the New New Testament is this life in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the Holy of Holies, if you will. Our body's a tabernacle. We already have the Holy Spirit living within us. Now we have to have life in the Spirit, life behind the veil. Now this word boldness, it's, of course, it's not a word that we would think of like arrogance. But it's an assurance of acceptance. And although we're to feel at home, we're to feel at home with the Lord, because God is holy, the Spirit also gives us a reverence. Amen? A reverence for God. God is not the guy upstairs. Our big bro or our things that people would say. No, we have to have a holy reverence, a humble gratitude to the Lord. While at the same time, we know we're loved. We're welcomed by grace. Boldness in this Greek word, heresia. Freedom in speaking. Unreservedness in speech. Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Assurance. I love the, the part of that. It says um, freedom in speaking. We can come and talk to God. I don't have an audience with Congress. I don't think they want to hear from me these days. I have, I'd have a lot to say uh, to the people in Washington if I could have my one-on-one. But I do have a one-on-one with God the Father. Unreservedness in speech. Free and fearless confidence. Amazing. Jesus gives us that access. Are you and I taking advantage of that access? Are we squandering that access? Now, look at the source of our confidence and our assurance. It's right there in the text. I've listed a few of these things out. You look at the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. A new and living way through the risen life of Christ. The veil, remember, it was torn as he gave up his spirit on the cross. The veil was torn in two. Before that, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus tore the veil, and we now enter into the Holy of Holies. He is our high priest, it tells us here. He is the one. Look at, uh, look at verse 22, and having a high priest over the house of God, the blood of Jesus shed for us, is your life, he says here also, by the way, look back in the text, He says, a new and living way, verse 20, by a new and living way. New and living. Most of us like new things, and most of us like living things. Jesus is both, and he's provided both to us, new and living, perpetually new, perpetually living. That's why out of us will spring Rivers of living water. Is your life being lived new and living? Or was it way more new when you accepted Christ and you you were way more interested in the Bible 20 years ago than you are today or five years ago than you are today? Or is it producing a new and a living thirst 
that's being quenched by Jesus? Are you having active sanctification? New and daily living in Jesus. Daily abiding, like you're having fresh leaves and fresh fruit popping out of your life, or has it gone dead and kind of drying up? He's provided a new and living way. Before the cross, again, only the high priest had the access to the Holy of Holies. We have access by the Holy Spirit 24-7. Wake up in the middle of the night for five minutes. You can be in the presence of God in a couple of seconds. I've done it a thousand times. I fall right back to sleep. Talk to God for a couple of seconds. Boom, I'm back. And that in and out of consciousness, we're still in the presence of the Lord. Now, that veil that was torn, understand that we now have access. We're not the high priest, but Jesus is always our high priest. Amen? He's there making intercession. And praise God, even in those times when we're not getting it and we're not thinking correctly and we're not where we should be, he's still interceding for us like he told Peter, I pray that your faith won't fail. Aren't you glad that Jesus is telling you and I, I have prayed for you because sometimes you've completely forgotten where you're supposed to be and I'm going to get your attention because whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. He's not only our high priest, he's our Lord as we looked at last week. Now, he brings us into the Holy of Holies. And the good news is when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus. Amen? He doesn't see us. We stand behind him. We stand in him. He sees Christ. And let's take a look at this next portion of the text. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you're taking notes, this second point, cleansing power. Knowing that we have access to God, we're forever grateful that we're cleansed by God. We have access to God because, and we're grateful for it, that we've been cleansed by God. God. And as we looked at last week in the understanding of justification, sanctification, and glorification, I believe I have this a second time. I just wanted to use this. I had some good feedback from people, and if you're visiting or new, I wanted to make sure we understood this because it still dovetails to what we were looking at a week ago. Remember the 2020 rule in Scripture, 20 verses above, 20 verses after. You get the full context, but We've been forgiven and perfected in eternity future. I don't feel perfect right now. How about you? But we're already seated in the heavenlies. God has cleansed us from an eternal standpoint. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life since June of 1995. Written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Justified. So we've been delivered out of that penalty of sin but then we're in this process right now. We're in the middle passage. We are being sanctified, daily changed from what? The power of sin. And we have to have access to the throne room of God where he continually is washing us, cleansing us. Because we're cleansed from eternity, but we need to be cleansed daily. Does that make sense? I thought we first say, yeah, the penalty. But you still have sin is still knocking at your door constantly, and we still fail, and we still have imperfections. And so we're learning to live by the Spirit 
as opposed to the flesh. And our flesh is still strong, but we're dying daily to it. This new and living way has to be worked out in us. And God has given all of us a span of time at which he's going to do chiseling on our life. Has this got to come off? This has got to come off. This has got to come off. You ever catch yourself and you're, and you're saying something, you're like, man, I still say this? I still think this? I still act this way? Whatever it may be. And it's the Holy Spirit convicting you to say, yes, it is time to make another turn, another bit of change, another bit of growth. Finally, we'll have that glorification where we are delivered from the presence of sin. That'll be great, won't it? Won't even have a, there'll be no temptation, no thought, nothing. We'll be completely delivered from those things. But right now, we're learning to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and live in victory over the gravitational pull of sin. And Jesus promises that the power of the Spirit in us is greater than sin. Jot down Romans 8, 2 if you're taking notes. And the work of grace is also greater than sin. Rome, write down Romans 5, 20. I don't have time to turn to both of them, but you can write those down. Additionally, the Holy Spirit reminds us, going back to verse 21, take a look at 20, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. You might want to underline those. I have them underlined in my Bible. Draw near, I have underlined, true heart. It indicates that there's a possibility that you don't draw near and you don't have a true heart. We're told to draw near. God doesn't say, and I will lasso you, tie you up, and pull you in. Now, the, the, when you got saved, the Bible says no one come to the Father unless the Father has what? drawn them unto himself. You, you didn't look for Christ. Jesus said, I sought you. You didn't seek me. But once we've been found, we responded to grace. God found us. We were in darkness. We were dead. We were completely in blackness. He turns on the light. We say, yes, Lord, please cleanse me and save me. But once we're saved, we have to willingly yield to the Lord day in and day out. We have to draw near. You have to choose to get up every morning and go to work. Well, now let's go to your living room or wherever it is. You know, go, go all the way down the hall. Or, but some of you still have essential jobs and you're still working at hospitals or you're still working at grocery stores. And you have to, no one's going to come pick you up and do it for you. You have to purpose in yourself, say, I'm going to do this. And say, Lord, you put the Holy Spirit in me to compel me to draw near. Now I will draw near. I'm here preaching today, not because this is something I chose to do. The Lord called me into it. He compelled me into it. And now I say, Lord, I'll draw near to it. I will study. I will prepare. I will pray. But I have to draw near, and I have to do it with a true heart. And so do you in your personal walk. We have to do it with a true heart. So the Holy Spirit reminds us that we have this mediator, and we have the high priest that constantly readies us for communion with God, but we have to desire that communion with God. Jesus will do his part. The Holy Spirit will do his part. Will we respond? And all, by the way, you have the throne room of God. You have the mediator, Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit bringing us into the presence. We see there God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet they're one. They're all working 
on our behalf. Isn't it good to know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working on your behalf and my behalf? And if we've exercised genuine faith in coming to Christ for salvation, we can have a genuine faith that asks Jesus to continually wash and purify it. If I could trust Jesus with my salvation, I can trust him with my sanctification. Amen? Let me say that again. It seems simple, but it's not. If you can trust God with your salvation, if you say, well, and I meet Christians that, that don't want to grow. I'm like, why would you not want to grow? You're counting on Jesus to save your soul, but the very thing he wants you to do, you're not counting on him for? You might want to recheck the salvation part if you have no desire to follow Christ. Because any man being Christ, the Bible says he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. I might, I might have fleeting worldly bombardment come in, but generally speaking, I just say, I don't want that. Because the Holy Spirit has changed. You have to have a true heart. You have to desire to draw near and he's promised that if we've exercised this faith, we can have this faith that he'll cleanse us, faith that he'll wash us, faith that he'll purify us, and he'll remind us when we need to be washed. Amen? Sometimes we're a little bit, it's like spiritually we're unshowered for days, if you will, and he's reminding us, you need to be rewashed. Not for salvation, but to be cleansed for use, cleansed for his purposes, cleansed just like he washed the disciples' feet. How many times in their life would they need their feet washed? Constantly. That was their sanctification. That was getting them ready for service, and they would have to wash the feet of others for service. We'll get to a little bit of that uh, in this last section. So if we've exercised the genuine faith, he will remind us, and he's promised that will have a desire to do it, that he'll place within us a desire to come into his presence and to be washed and to be cleansed and to be set apart. Let me ask you, are you truly desiring to walk in newness of life? Are you truly, if God is talking right now, say, Lord, you know my heart, are you truly desiring to walk in newness of life? and the purity that Jesus wants you to have and he wants me to have, this cleansing of an evil conscience, this cleansing of our bodies, which is just a picture of the flesh. It's not literally our bodies. It's the flesh we're speaking of here. Notice the text again. It says to draw near. Are you drawing near or are you drifting away? Are you drawing near or are you drifting away? Do we want to be clean and washed, or do we want just a little wet nap? Just a little tiny wet nap is all I really want. Because we have more important or pressing things, we don't have time for that kind of cleaning. Give me a little wet nap, just wipe off like the little one that Chick-fil-A gives you, a little pack, um, that little Purell thing. They're really handy to have a stack of them in your car. But, uh, but you don't want that to be your bath. If we've been out in the yard working, like I do on at least one day a week, your hands get all dirty. You need soap and running water, not just a little hand sanitizer. doesn't do the trick. 
we want to have the kind of clean and refreshed that Jesus extends to us. And I haven't given this quote in a while, but I still love it. F.B. Meyer used to say, Lord, I'm willing to be willing. You have to pray that prayer. When you're stale and not that willing. Lord, I'm willing to be willing. Test your heart. Ask God to change it. If you haven't really been desiring to be in his presence, you haven't really desired to come into the Holy of Holies, you haven't wanted to be washed and cleansed, the admonition here is the intentionality of coming to God. We have to draw near. This is a command to draw near. The world never stops doing its thing. We have to keep doing what Jesus has asked us to do. Only Satan and our flesh will tell us to put it off, put it off, and wait another week. You don't really need that yet. A wet nap will do. We need to draw near with a true heart, the text says. Now, what does that mean? God know, well, God knows the sincerity of our heart. Alethanos, opposite to what is fictitious or counterfeit, imaginary, simulated or pretended. God knows what fake looks like. You can never play games with God. And even if you have a true heart, you still see the depravity of yourself. I, I still love that, you know, it gives me a lot of comfort that Paul, years later, still called himself the chief of sinners. But yet God still knows what a true heart is. That's why even when Peter denied Jesus three time, Jesus said, your faith's not going to fail, because I know you really do want to follow me. God knows who's playing game. Judas was in a different camp, wasn't he? His heart was not true. Peter, for all his flaws, still wanted to follow Jesus, and it, and it, and it grieved him that he denied Christ. When you and I deny Christ, and we do, sometimes here in the week, we'll, we should have done this, we, we, we kind of shied away, say, Lord, please forgive me, make me into the disciple you've called me to be. God knows when our heart is sincere and when it's humble and obedient versus playing games with him. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, I want to be sanctified and made clean. I want to grow. I want my desire to be your desires. If you're here online, and you know Christ as Savior, but you've fallen asleep spiritually, if you've wandered off, if you have little to no interest in Christ and growing in him, yeah, you, you, ch you catch a church service once a week, but you just there's really no real communion with the Lord. You don't really have that much interest. You're much more excited about what's on TV or what's on Facebook or what's on social media or everything else, or getting back to normal, whatever that is. Maybe you become re-entangled in some sin. Maybe I'm talking to someone who, who has returned to some sin they had done years ago, and they're back in it. Maybe you just have a completely prayerless life. The best you, you know, I pray over a meal, and that's about it. That's not, that's not the prayer life that Jesus has called us to. He's, Paul said, praying without what? Ceasing. It's learning to walk and talk with God, not just over dinner or over breakfast. Maybe you feel guilty or unworthy or dirty 
or your conscience is bothered, or you're in need of rest, whatever it is, if you know the Lord is Lord and Savior, he will call his sheep, hear his voice. He calls them back to himself. He'll leave the 99. He'll go to the one. Maybe there's one that the Lord is speaking to right now that the Lord is saying, you need to be cleansed again. Not resaved. Some of you may need to be saved for the first time. I mean, even Jesus said there'll be tares among the wheat that are, they never really come to faith. Jesus is speaking directly to you by his spirit. He's saying to come back to the altar. And we're going to have an opportunity that with the, with the taking of the Lord's Supper today. We'll have communion together in just a little bit, which, by the way, is your chance if you don't have it. Get any kind of liquid and any kind of bread you can find if you don't have it. It'll, it, it'll suffice for this format. But in 1 John 1, 9, it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great to know that we have an advocate with the Father that Jesus will say, I know you've blown it for um, the umpteen time. I was reading this week, you know, in the text where it talks about uh, if your brother sins against you, he said even seven times in the same day, but he comes back and he repents and said, I've sinned against you. Um, now, my thinking is this. When I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking, all right, if someone sinned against me the exact same way seven times in a day, I would have a very difficult time forgiving them by about number three. How about you? This is what Jesus said. He says if they've sinned against you seven times, and of course we understand that the connotation is more than seven. It's actually a repeating number. But if it's the same thing, I would be like, hold time out. I thought we addressed this. Then I started to think, hold on, how many times has God said this to me? That we've sinned against him the same way seven times in a day, but yet we're hoping for this passage right here, that he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the access we have to, to God through Christ. It's the washing, the cleansing. But, but think about it, really. Seven times? Same thing? You and I have come to God 10,000 times for the same thing. The same bad habit. The same, oh, I should have done that. But we need to be cleansed, and we need to be cleansed individually as a family. If you're sitting there in your living room, you've got the, the family there, God wants each and every person there to be clean, the whole church. He wants all of CCR, and not just this church, the church, the body of Christ worldwide, Baptist, Methodist, you know, Pentecostal, whatever it may be. He wants his whole body clean. How many of you want just a high percentage of your family clean and showered? Just a high percentage. You're good with 75%. Not everyone, because that would be overkill to have everyone clean. How many, you just, as long as um, when you go to the hospital, you're good with just 80% of the doctors washing their hands. You're good with just 80% of pilots knowing what they're doing. Why would God not want every single person in CCR to be a disciple? Why would God not want every person that's watching me right now 
to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, remember, I already said he left the 99 for the 1. All 100% he desires. If you're saved, he wants you living in newness of life as we've been looking at the text. He wants every single person to be walking in that way. Now, why is this important? It says in Ephesians 5.26, because we're going to move transition to this last portion of text, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Who is the her here? It's the church. It's the bride. Now he's talking about the entity. I have me individually. You have you individually. But together we are the her. We are the bride. We are the church. We are the body. And he wants to cleanse the whole body not just one person, not just my wife, not just my daughters, but all of the body of Christ. He wants all of his church cleansed and growing because you can't grow unless you've been pruned and cleansed. He wants the whole church growing. That goes back to that middle passage of sanctification. He wants everyone being sanctified, growing in grace, flourishing, coming to him daily, that we all are living behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, life in the Spirit, walking with Jesus Christ, being sanctified, a clean church, and look what the text tells us, what happens with a clean church. Notice what it says. Moving on, we finish these last few verses. Let us hold, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And now it moves from an individual need to a body, a church-connected thing. Look what it says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day, the day of Jesus Christ, approaching. We have a clean church. A clean church becomes a connected church. Jesus calls the church's bride. He invokes this picture of marriage in Ephesians 5.26. He invokes this picture of marriage. Can you imagine a marriage where there's little or no investment of time? We're married, but we do not invest any time with each other at all. Or we like to see each other as people were attending church, some of the most recent uh, regular attendance was two out of every five Sundays. I'm telling you, a lot of people, even when, even when you can get back to church, a ton of people are not coming back because they didn't come more than three, out, they didn't come but two out of five anyway. They've taken for granted all of that God has given for so long. But can you imagine a marriage where there's no investment of time? Neither can there be a church where there's little to no investment in one another, in one another. It takes, takes an investment of time. This transition underscores we cannot have a close relationship with God and not with his church. We can't have a close relationship with God but not have a close relationship with the body of Christ. They're not possible. The one that loves God loves the children of God. Last point we're making here or this text is making, connected encouragement, I've titled. To serve and care for one another is not only essential for growth, but it's also a testimony to the world. The world sees that the family of God is different 
regardless of where we're at, in the timeline of our journey. You could be saved for two months or 30 years. The world will start to see, hey, you have a guys actually like each other. More than like each other, you actually love each other. You're actually there for each other. John 13, 35, I share this verse a couple times a year, more than that. By this, all will know that you're my disciple. We started the year all about discipleship. If you have love for one another, loving one another is not easy, by the way. Amen? It's not even easy to love your spouse sometimes. And by the way, it's not easy for them to love you. Verses 23 through 25, though, are very similar. If I just read them. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. Let us stir up, not forsake. Listen to that language. Listen to the connotation or the way the, uh, the author speaks here. It's very similar to how a coach speaks to a team. I like sports. I can see a coach or a manager speaking to a team this same way. We've got to hold fast. We've got to consider one another. We've got to stir up. That's exhortation. That's that word, exhortation, going back to the, the must do this. You can and you must. How can? The Holy Spirit. These are things that must be done if we care about the team and not just ourselves. More importantly, the body of Christ and the will of Christ and not simply our own preferences. We cannot live our lives by, well, this is what I feel like doing. This is what I feel, this is what makes me feel nice or satisfied. There's a part of me, I'm riding in to preach. There, I still have the flesh in me too. I'm riding in and I see out on the reservoir someone just kayaking all by themselves. And I'm like, literally I'm thinking, I'd like to be out on that kayak right now. And God's like, you got to be in the pulpit. Literally, I have the Holy Spirit. Like, I look out there, I'm like, I remember when I used to do that because I used to be on the beach on Sunday mornings. I have a surfboard with me, playing volleyball. And the Lord says, I, don't, I didn't save you for what you want to do. And if I really get, I may get to kayak next year or next month or whatever. I don't really, I, I don't even really care about it. I'm just saying that the flesh is always drawn to its own things. And God's caring about Jesus looked on the multitudes with compassion because he looked at what? Souls. Man, and I have found myself some of these mornings praying for the people that are out there saying, Lord, I don't know, maybe they know you, maybe they were at church at the early service or online that night or what, I don't know. But ultimately, do they know you? Jesus cares about others. Of course, when you spend time with Jesus, his love and his priorities will become your love and your priorities. Those that have been accepted by the Lord, those who have been cleansed by the Lord and strengthened will now desire to serve others. In a spiritual sense, you will now go on offense. You will now go on offense because you're part of the Lord's army. You're part of the ministry of ministering to other people. You'll get in the game for the kingdom work of Christ. Discipleship, it always starts personally. I cannot disciple someone if I'm not personally in the Word. I cannot tell them, hey, let me help you learn how to pray if I don't have a prayer life. I cannot help exhort them into sharing their faith if I don't share my faith. Invite someone to church and 
all of these things. I can't tell them how to control their temper if I can't control my temper. You understand? We have to have a personal growth. You have to be a disciple to make a disciple. But if you are a disciple, you'll want to disciple. You'll want to be disciple. Verse 23 highlights a personal commitment. It says, let us hold fast the confession. You have a confession. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? I've been thinking lately of a, a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and he's got a bunch of them that we don't really talk about that much, but they need to be understood. If we have a confession, if we've given him our lives, we need to hold fast. He'll hold on to us, but we have to hold back. He won't let go, but we're told to hold as well. We have to have a personal commitment, a resolve to live by faith. He's given us the Holy Spirit to have that resolve. Romans 1.17, it says, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We'll actually look at this same verse next week in the next section. Uh, the same phrase is used in Hebrews as it is in Romans. But we can put a line in the sand and say, Because Christ is faithful, I am choosing to stand firm in his truth and live the rest of my life with Jesus as the priority of my life, that I have the hope, and that word hope, again, it means joyful expectation of heaven. This world is not my home, so by his grace, I'm not going to waver or let the world's priorities or philosophies become my priorities or my philosophies. We've been set free from their philosophies. Theirs can't give life. They can't even keep the world, they can't even keep the doors of the world open. God showed in weeks he can shut the whole place down. Why would we follow the priorities of a world that is falling away? And in Jesus, he, if he has the command of your life, and if he has the command of my life, we will treasure, embrace, walk in his priorities, will become our brother's keeper, will be others-minded, We'll be investing in the lives of others, faithfully gathering and investing in disciples, being disciples, but investing and helping others to grow in that. Tonight's going to be a warm afternoon. Any of you like to grill? Now, I have a gas grill, but I also have a little charcoal grill that every now and then we use. Try grilling with one charcoal little brick. Just put one on there and say, all right, Throw all the hot dogs on there. We're going to grill them all on one little charcoal brick. No, you need the pile. And not only do you need the pile, they have to get warm and they have to stay together to become burning embers. You cannot grill on one little. And so you that are listening, you are called by God to be part of the pile that is heating up, warming up for something functional that there would be food, spiritual food in this case, not a steak, but spiritual food for one another, stirring one another, considering one another, as the text says. Considering, my brother and sister, they need me there. I tell people all the time, you should come to the prayer meeting, you should come to the study, you should come, even if you're not going to say a word, your presence is part of the pile. Otherwise, you can try grilling on one little brick, and you'll find that it'll never work, and it doesn't work for the Lord either. 
John Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. If you have no fellowship, and I'm not talking about in this pandemic, even in this pandemic, we should be texting each other, reaching out. Hey, how you doing? Especially reach out to people you hadn't even thought about. Especially reach out to people you think no one's reaching out to. George Swinnick said this. He says, Satan watches for those vessels that sail without convoy. If you're a lone ranger, you'll be taken out by the enemy. And I love this last one by Frederick von Hugel. Behind every, every saint stands another saint. Isn't that great? Behind every saint stands another saint. I know I'm up here because of many of you prayer warriors. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I would have not survived being a pastor if it weren't for the prayers of God's people. I know even this morning I desperately need God's people praying. And I am so thankful. Someday I'll get to thank some of you in heaven while I'll see God maybe even show me. That person prayed like volumes for you. We need one another. Now, of course, from the context, this command, it's spoken to the entire body of Christ. Everyone needs fellowship. Everyone needs discipleship, not just 80% of your family, 100%. And one of the sad commentaries in this pandemic, again, I've talked to other pastors who are noticing it as well, that far too many believers, they find it just as hard to dial into a, a Zoom prayer call as to drive all the way to the church. And so we have to understand that takes an intentionality, intentionality to draw near, but also intentionality to stir and to consider others and to build up others. Even if things are inconvenient and life itself is going to be inconvenient, the onus here is to consider others, to stir up others, not just to be stirred up by. It says you consider others, not someone else. Well, I'm waiting for someone to stir me up. No, no. You have to let the Lord stir you and go and invest in other people. Take some spiritual ownership in obedience to Christ. Can I plead that with anyone? Take some spiritual ownership in obedience to Christ. When I was in the business world, uh, we understood that teamwork was imperative, and you were to present solutions, not problems. If you offered up a problem, the very first thing I said to you is, what do you have as a solution to that? So, say, well, I don't think there's enough fellowship. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to reach out to people? What are you going to do to invest in people? What are you going to do to send a verse of encouragement? What are we going to do to consider others and not forsake? We get the opportunity to get back together, and we're going to be having to think about what the safety protocols that is. We might need two services to come. And when we start doing it even before we can come in the ways we can do it, not make excuses, but do the things that we can do now. Jesus expects more from us because he's coming soon. Amen? What does it say? It says here, look at the plural. The plural emphasis is us, ourselves, one another, assembling Together, These are plural terms. He's like, all of you need to come to the same place that you're all living behind the veil in the Holy Spirit, but also building, encouraging, strengthening one another. Why? Because he says, and so much more as you see the day approaching, 
it's going to get harder and harder to live for Jesus the closer it gets to his return. The world's going to get more evil, more difficult. We're going to need each other. And Jesus is going to say, you're going to need all those coals close together, staying warm together, staying functional, useful. He's coming back soon. He's closer to returning than he's ever been. But when we started this service, he's now that much closer. Are we going to draw near and consider each other? Jesus says, this is why I've cleansed you, to be a light and a witness to the world in this manner. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we come again only by your grace, thanking you for your grace, thanking you for this time in the word. Thank you, Lord, that you do forgive us of the many times we fail, and you continually draw us again and again and again into your presence. Lord, help us to have ears that are listening, hearts that are surrendered. And as our hearts are just soft and our heads bowed, I just want to speak to two groups real briefly before we take the communion together. Uh, first, I want, to sp- I want to speak first to the believers. If you're saved and you know Christ, I want to speak first to those of you that know the Lord as your Lord and Savior to just take this time. We're going to have communion in just a few minutes to examine your own heart and say, Lord, I have not had a desire to draw near lately. I haven't been really desiring to be clean. I haven't really been desiring to be in fellowship or even to pour into others. And uh, whether it's been a complaining spirit or just kind of apathy, whatever it may be, Jesus, as your high priest, is saying, come in behind the veil. Let me cleanse you. Let me restore that new and living desire in you. Only Jesus can desire. I talk to the Lord all the time. Lord, make me more living, more desirous. Only the Lord can give you a spiritual thirst, but you have to be willing to be made willing, as we talked about with with F.B. Meyer there. And the second is maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never really asked him yet to cleanse you and forgive you. So if you know the Lord, just confess to him. Say, Lord, I'm returning. I'm recommitting. I'm resurrendering to you. And not just to you, but to my brothers and sisters, to to be back in the game of really investing in the lives of others. But first, you just need that personal washing, that personal work before you can be effective with others. But the second is if you don't know Christ is your Savior and say, I, I, I realize that I need to be forgiven. If I was to die, I'm not ready for eternity. Because there's only two places we go when we die. It's either heaven or it's hell. And Jesus, the Bible said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no person on earth that God wants to send to hell. He has road signs everywhere that say, you turn to me. And so if you're listening and you've never given your heart and life to Christ and you want to surrender to the Lord, be cleansed, be forgiven, have this relationship with the Lord, and know that you're ready for eternity. Whether the coronavirus took you, whether the cancer took you, whether a car accident you would be ready for eternity, but not only ready, you would begin to grow in the peace and the love and the grace that only Jesus can provide. You'll never find in this world. You'll thirst forever trying to find contentment in what this world has to offer. And you certainly can't 
atone for your own sins. And none of us can escape death, and that's why Jesus came. So I want to just pray a prayer with those that may not know the Lord as Savior. Lord Jesus, just pray along with me. I ask you now to cleanse me. I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, please wash me, purify me, write my name in the land's book of life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I'm deciding this day to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, help me now to walk in this newness of life and to grow in your grace. Thank you for saving me, and Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life with your help and your strength. In your name I pray, amen. Well, hey, if you're at home and you were able to grab some communion elements, and if you haven't, you still have time to run to the pantry and grab something. If you didn't, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So just take a, a quick second, if you don't have those elements, to go and grab them, whether you're by yourself or with your family. And again, if you don't have grape juice and you don't have matzo bread or you can use saltines, you can use French toast and milk if that's all you had. Uh, whatever what we want to do, this in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us, it's something we do the first Sunday of every month. And it's just to remember, even though I think about the cross often, this is one of these together things. Just as we said, or just as the text says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You could take the Lord's Supper, you could take it any time on your own. You could just say, I just want to take a lunch break and go and, and fast, and other than maybe just take, I just want to take the Lord's Supper. You can do that. But there's also something about Jesus had the disciples together. And Paul talked about the church being together and taking of the Lord's Supper together because it's not just our individual walk. That is important. If I live on an island, I have to have that right walk with the Lord, just me and the Lord. But together, God wants us purified together, of the same mindset together, of the same appreciation for the cross together, of the same desire that souls will be saved together, of the same desire that the Holy Spirit would do a work in our midst. And Jesus is saying one of the things, and I don't even know how all this works. Some of this is a mystery. Jesus is saying that when we do this, as often as you do this in remembrance of me, he's like, I'm going to do a work in you. And so, uh, you know, there's some that have communion in their church every single Sunday, and I can't even argue with that. But at minimum, we want to have it once a month together. And so I know we're not physically together, but we're together in Holy Spirit. Amen? The, the Spirit has us together. My wife is not here with me. I know she's at home with my girls, and they're, they're doing this right now in our living room. And some of, uh, some of you are not together. Some of you, someone have, may be at work right now. But we're together by the grace of the Lord. And I'm actually reading Paul's letter about this because what Paul received from Jesus, he then took to the churches and said, just like we need to have prayer meetings, just like we need to have worship time together, just like we need to have preaching and teaching, which we just did together, we need to take of the Lord's Supper together. And this is what he says. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
when he had given thanks, he broke it. And I just want to pray before we take these elements together. Father, we come before you. We don't even understand just how special the Lord's Supper really is. On that Passover night, when you were betrayed, when you were headed into the garden soon after to sweat great drops of blood. But ultimately, Lord, you were just hours away from being convicted of a crime you never committed and taking on our sins and laying down the cross. Jesus, it never seems to be enough, but we want to say thank you as a family. And there's something special, Lord, about us gathering together as a family. Even right now, this virtual communion through the internet, by the Holy Spirit, there's something special. There's something called forth from eternity where you wanted to gather the church and remember your body and your blood. And yes, Lord, we could do it individually, but there's something about not forsaking the assembly. And right now, Lord, those that are online, Lord, I pray you're drawing them back into that communion with you, but also that fellowship with one another, that we would, it would be on our lips on Tuesday, on Thursday. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that we have been knitted together as the body of Christ. And so, Jesus, thank you. Never seems to be enough, but thank you for dying for us. Thank you for cleansing us from our sins. Thank you for going to the brutality of the cross for you so love the world and you so love us individually but as your church and Lord we ask that you would cleanse us even now purify us we've prayed it a few times this morning Lord but we can't pray it enough wash us from the inside out give us your peace and your joy in the inner man give us a thirst for your righteousness. You said you would bless those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we're willing to be made willing. Give us that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we just want to tell you we love you. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the body and blood. In Jesus' name, I pray.